You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Welcome to Never Neverland. We're going to bring ghosts from all over the world. Join us. Be sure to bring your death certificate. Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some pixie dust around, grab your happiest thought, and let's fly away to Neverland. We've got a lot of fun today. Eric is back this week, and he's going to bring you all the Disney news that you can possibly handle. Everything ranging from stuff going on in the parks to some new things coming in the world of Spider-Man gaming. You've probably already played through the game. Well, there's some new stuff coming, and he's going to tell you all about it. Also, we have an interesting movie to talk about later, and this is coming from a small item that you definitely have seen at the Haunted Mansion in Walt Disney World, and you might not know that there is a book and uh, quite a few films that have come from that book that have inspired a certain item at Walt Disney World's Haunted Mansion. And we're going to talk all about that right after our news from Eric. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Hello Neverlanders, this is Lost Boy Eric calling out to you from my secret location within Neverland. I have been combing through all of the news stories this week, and I have found several items that uh, I felt it was great to discuss this week begin with, let's talk about some new patents that have been filed by Disney. You know, one of the great things about Disney Parks is that they're always looking to try and reinvent the wheel. They're trying to find some different way to approach the way that their rides work. Of course, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, or rather, the Roger Rabbit attraction at Disneyland, was created when they put a teacup on top of a ride vehicle in Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, and got to see things from a different perspective as they twisted the teapot or the teacup around. Well, we're seeing a little bit of something like that happening with, potentially, with Disney roller coasters. Uh, they've developed a new rotating roller coaster ride vehicle. Now, it can give guests a more dynamic roller coaster experience in future theme park vacations, specifically vehicles on gravity-based attractions, that's code words for roller coasters, to change their position during the course of the track. Now, when you go through a traditional drop and loop of a fast roller coaster, passenger cars face either left or right following the natural track uh, to give them... Uh, or they can have better opportunities to view theming and displays that surround it. Now, there's no short shortage of Disney attractions with cars that swivel between different viewing positions. It's usually, though, found on slower rides due to charging issues. A fast-paced roller coaster with a ride vehicle that could change the guest's vehicle direction as it follows a track would be a novel innovation for Disney parks. Not only would such a system add an exciting element to upcoming attractions, it would also make it possible to introduce new experiences to existing attractions rather than having to replace the ride as it becomes stale. Now, this mindset is becoming a trend with the new Disney technology. 
the patent application called Roller Coaster with Passenger Compartment Motion Powered Through Stored Onboard Energy explains the desire for the design. For example, it is much more desirable for a park operator to reuse an existing track and support structure than to remove these and build a completely new ride as this places a ride out of use for a longer period of time and during construction it's more disruptive to nearby attractions. In some instances, a ride can be updated and modified by providing new show or visual features along the track that are visible not only as the vehicles travel in the direction of travel, but also on one or both sides of the track. In such cases, it's desirable to provide a programmable yaw profile that is followed to rotate the passenger compartment about its vertical axis to have the passengers face either the left or the right as the vehicle travels along the track. Basically, what this means is, you know, imagine riding on the Matterhorn, and rather than your car going in a single straight direction, your car twists so you can look directly at the Yeti as you travel up the chain lift. Or if you're on Space Mountain, uh, when they've got the Hyperspace Mountain Gal... Uh, alter uh, can't think of my words here. Overlay in it. You can turn and you can see an X-Wing or a TIE Fighter in front of you moving rather than having to glance to the left or right to see it there. <laughs> it's kind of taking the uh, premise of the Haunted Mansion. You're in a dune buggy, you can only look a certain direction. You can't really look out peripherally because of the way that the vehicle is uh, designed. They're taking that aesthetic, uh, or they could take that aesthetic with this patent to roller coasters and really make sure that you're looking in the direction that they want you to look at because of the story elements or because of what's going on. You know, most recently I can think of the uh, Seven Dwarves Mine Train. Fantastic ride, it's great. Um, but you don't have much of an opportunity, uh, especially during the slower parts like the hill climb in the mine train, or even at the very end when you come up to the Seven Dwarves Cottage. Just think of being able to turn, uh, the vehicle turning and twisting so that you can pay attention to Dopey in the uh, mine cart, or to Doc as he's pulling the whistle, getting ready for them to hi-ho off of work. Uh, I think this could be a very innovative and uh, interesting change. And I like the fact that uh, by being able to allow a track to or the vehicle to move, it does present the opportunity to change out the attraction. You know, one year, maybe you can have an attraction that's based around Star Wars. Then the next year, you can have a new attraction based on, you know, whatever's, you know, a Marvel or a, an Avengers movie where that vehicle can change track. It can keep the same track, but this new element of being able to pivot and turn on an axis uh, kind of opens up the possibility of what they can do to change up rides and uh, refresh an older attraction. I'm looking really forward to this. Of course, patents does not mean that something's going to become a reality, so we'll just have to wait and see, but you know, this certainly could be a big game changer for Disney. Now, has anyone been using the new Play Disney app? Uh, it is. It was designed specifically for use in the parks. So if you're waiting in line for Pirates of the Caribbean, you can answer questions about Pirates of the Caribbean. Some of the app allows you to actually play a game as you're nearby an attraction. Uh, it's also got special playlists that have been loaded uh, based upon where you're at in the park. Now, uh, they're adding new content to this app. Specifically, 
uh, as you're getting ready to fly on the back of a mountain banshee in Pandora. Now, these moments are going to be even more special. Uh, the Pandora is one of two new interactive experiences that are coming to the Play Disney Parks app. Stories of the Enchanted Gallery at Disney's Art of Animation Resort will be the first Play Disney Parks experience based at a Disney Resort hotel, and it allows you to bring the art-filled walls of the lobby to life while checking in or enjoying your stay. Through the app, you'll become your own animator and create themed art that transforms into living, breathing stories inspired by Finding Nemo, The Lion King, The Little Mermaid, and Cars. Now, going back to Pandora, the Ace Guide to Pandora, Valley of Moara edition at Disney's Animal Kingdom, will enable you to join Alpha Centauri expeditions on an adventurous journey as you explore the colors, cultures, and creatures of Pandora. Scan your surroundings for exotic life forms, create indigenous music, and experience other interactive gameplay alongside your friends and family while learning all about this alien moon throughout interesting facts, trivia, and activities. The experience can be accessed anywhere within the park, but is especially great when waiting in the queue line at the very popular Avatar Flight of Passage attraction. You'll also be able to earn, collect, and share several new Play Disney Parks achievements as part of these new experiences. And while in the app, keep your eyes and ears open for some great new Apple Music playlists featuring songs inspired by Disney animated films, Disney lullabies, and even classic Disney tales read aloud. Since debuting in June, the Play Disney Parks app has immersed guests further into the Disney stories they know and love through themed games, Disney trivia, digital achievements, music, and more, whether they're playing on Main Street USA or waiting in line at a beloved attraction. Uh, the app can be downloaded from the App Store through Apple or Google Play. Now, they also tell us that there's many more additions in store for development within the app, both at Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resort. So we'll keep our eyes and ears open to see what else is coming down the line. Now, if like me, you've uh, spent any time in the Walt Disney World over the past year, you've seen a lot of towers going up, especially around the Epcot and Hollywood Studios area. Well, we've discussed this before. Uh, they are bringing out the Skyliner. Uh, this is going to be a gondola system that transports uh, guests between several parks and resort hotels. And the Disney Parks blog released a video this week. It comprises of music and text, but there's actually no spoken word within it. Uh, that gives out some of the facts and some of the details about the Skyliner, uh, especially as it uh, is coming here w very soon. Now, it tells us that it'll, it does a countdown from 6 to 1, telling us that there are 6 miles of cable. It'll have 5 loading stations servicing 4 resorts along 3 lines and connects 2 parks, promising one amazing experience. Now, the gondolas will carry passengers to and from Epcot and Disney Hollywood Studios with boarding points uh, at 3 resorts. Or actually, at 4 resorts, but 3 boarding points. Uh, the first is going to be common between the Art of Animation Resort and the Pop Century Resort. Uh, there's a separate boarding point at the Caribbean Beach Resort. And then a third is going to be at the proposed Riviera Resort. Now, to bring Sky Disney Skyliner to life, teams are making progress on this innovative system. In addition to uniquely Disney station designs that complement their surroundings, support towers have been popping up across the Walt Disney World Resort 
and will soon be connected with a series of reinforced cables to carry guests in stylish-themed gondolas. You may even see the work underway for the, over the next several months as the teams install these miles of cable between towers. Now, moving from Florida, let's take a look at Hong Kong. They recently announced uh, a series of things that are going to be coming up within the next few months and into 2019. Now, the probably, in my opinion, the biggest uh, uh, thing to come up is going to be Ant, Ant or Ant-Man and the Wasp Nano Battle. Now, this is going to open in March of 2019. It is a Marvel attraction, uh, which, based upon the artwork that I've seen, it appears to be kind of an open car uh, design where you can interact with a projected video. Uh, something like this would be the Ratatouille ride that's in Paris's Disney Hollywood Studios and is coming to Epcot, or the Spider-Man attraction at Universal Studios Florida. Um, guests are going to be able to fight along Ant-Man and the Wasp to defeat Dr. Arnon Zola. And they say it's to defeat her army of Hydra swarm bots. Uh, I'm not quite sure if uh, we're getting a new Dr. Zola in this, uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. But uh, again, this is coming to the Hong Kong Disneyland Resort in 2019. Now, Hong Kong Disneyland is also going to be opening their own version of the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. Of course, there's versions of this both at Disneyland in California and at Disney World in Florida. And this is an opportunity for younger guests to be transformed into their favorite princesses. Uh, it, they're going to have a magic makeup haul with a new luxury line of Disney princess dresses available for purchase. And fairy godmother interns will be helping with hair and makeup inspired by Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, and more. Another big thing coming to the Hong Kong Disneyland Resort is they will be celebrating Mickey's 90th anniversary from November of this year through February of next year with the world's biggest mouse party. The street projection show called We Love Mickey is going to turn Main Street into a birthday party and guests can collect special souvenirs with commemorative edition tickets and exclusive stickers. Now they're also going to be uh, updating and changing some of their resorts. Uh, you are going to be able to find a Finding Nemo themed playroom at the Disney Explorers Lodge. And resort restaurants like Crystal Lotus and Paradise Restaurant will be offering brand new dining experiences. Now they're also going to be implementing some seasonal uh, experiences as well uh, with New Year's, Halloween, and Christmas with character meet and greets and park-wide themed layovers and events. Guests will have the opportunity to meet Jack Skellington from The Nightmare Before Christmas and take in the sparkling lights with Mickey and Minnie in their holiday best. Not only that, but from March to August of 2019, guests can catch the Disney Superstar Carnival, which is a return of a popular parade which features all of our favorite characters. So, some uh, big things coming to Hong Kong Disneyland. I think, uh, especially with uh, Shanghai Disneyland uh, having been so recent, it's you know, Hong Kong Disneyland has kind of been uh, forgotten a little bit. So, you know, it's good to see that these new attraction and uh, opportunities are coming to that park. And, you know, again, if we ever have the opportunity to make our way anywhere else in the world, we're definitely going to be able, uh, or we'll definitely make sure that we uh, take in these attractions and bring them to you. Now, while it's not part of the parks, uh, the Disney Cruise Line is still very closely associated with the parks, and there's been some very big news coming out about a possible new destination for the cruise line. Now, over the course of the next four years, 
the cruise line fleet of ships are going to expand from four to seven, which means that they're going to need more locations to sail to. Disney has also announced new sailings to Hawaii and out of New Orleans. And now with three new ships coming in and so many guests wanting to go to Castaway Cay, they might be happier with Lighthouse Point. For some time now, there's been talk of Disney looking at purchasing additional land in the Bahamas. It's expected that this land is going to be used for another private island getaway similar to Castaway Cay. Now, location is known as Lighthouse Point, Eleuthera. <laughs> I'm sure I mispronounced that. Um, and Disney's come closer to make it their next private port. Uh, as reported by the Disney Cruise Line blog, the Bahamian government approved the sale of Lighthouse Point to the Walt Disney Company after accepting their proposal. Now, with that approval, Disney can now move forward on their plans to actually purchase Lighthouse Point. It's at the top of South Eleuthera, and it amounts to somewhere between 700 and 800 acres of land. The Nassau Guardian has reported that negotiation on a heads of agreement are set to begin immediately. Now, this agreement is set to detail the entire scope of the project, as well as the obligations of the Bahamian government and that of Disney Cruise Line Island development. Getting that heads of agreement ironed out and in place will be the next step in the process, and after that, it will need to be uh, presented to Parliament. This will keep in line with the Bahamian government's commitment to transparency and accountability while making sure everything is legal and in line. Now, Lighthouse Point is not actually even owned by the government of the Bahamas, but it rather belongs to a private owner. For some time, the land has been for sale, and Disney Cruise Line has already put together an agreement of sale with the owner of the land so that they can purchase it. Of course, this is huge news for the Walt Disney Company and Disney Cruise Line. A second port is absolutely necessary for the future plans. Now, with the three new ships on their way and four already in the fleet, uh, Cruise Line is not going to want to overdo things at Castaway Cay. Now, approving this sale is the next big step in another magical private location coming in the future. All right, turning away uh, from the Disney parks and looking more at news this week, it was revealed that, um, well, hey, I'll let you know. I've been playing the new Spider-Man game on PS4. I know Jeremy has as well, and we have both been loving it. In fact, I just platinumed this week on the game as it is. Something I never do. I never uh, achieve all of the achievements within a game. So I'm uh, pretty stoked and, and really have enjoyed the game so far. Well, this week, uh, we got two big announcements. The first is that uh, actually beginning on Friday, uh, this past Friday, the 19th of October, Insomniac Games released the first big patch, which includes a new Game Plus mode. Now, this allows you to play through the game a second time, or a third time, as you may wish, but keeping all of the uh, growth that you've developed over the course of playing the game once. So, this means you get to keep your suits, you get to, cha you get to keep your gadgets, you get to keep the uh, trophies that you've earned. Uh, there are certain items that, uh, as you go through the game, such as, you know, the type of swinging that you do, running along buildings, uh, using the launch point system to jump across and past buildings. Uh, you keep all of your achievements as you've gained them in the first game, and you continue to grow upon them. Uh, while I was able to get all of the suits in the first game, I didn't have all of the gadgets. And now playing this new game plus mode has allowed me to go ahead and get the remaining gadgets and start upgrading and t uh, 
getting even better gadgets as I go through that system. Uh, the New Game Plus mode also came out with a new difficulty mode called Ultimate. So we've got Friendly, Amazing, Spectacular, and Ultimate. I wonder if they should use those in any comic book titles. Anyhow, as I've been playing the New Game Plus mode, the difficult or th this new difficulty mode of Ultimate, uh, I've noticed a difference. Uh, <laughs> my reflexes could stand to be a little bit better. And I've played through, I want to say, maybe about half the game already. Golly. Um, but, or through the story mode, rather. But I have noticed a definite uptick in how, uh, not, not necessarily how difficult it is to fight the other players, but how easily I'm losing health points. Uh, I've got some of the biggest battles of the game coming up before me with the uh, Secret Six and the ultimate boss of the game. But, uh, hey, I've been enjoying it so far. Uh, this new content also included two brand new trophies, which I'm currently trying to get as well. Now, also coming up on the 23rd, that is this Tuesday. Wow. Coming up on the 23rd is the first DLC pack. Um, and it's also going to come with three new uh, suits. Now, the new suits in question are the Resilient Suit, which is being designed specifically for the game by uh, illustrator Gabrielle Del Otto, uh, who's also worked on the uh, Secret War miniseries with Brian Michael Bendis, which Spider-Man was a part of. And within the game, we've got the Secret War suit. It's a uh, kind of a reverse of... Uh, black and red, you know, how Spider-Man has his red suit with black webbing on it. This is a black suit with red webbing on it, uh, the, the, the Secret War suit. The Resilient suit, uh, again, that's brand new to this game and something that's going to be interesting to see in, uh, in motion. They're also including the Spider-Man suit from Scarlet Spider 2, published in 2012 and 2013 as well as the Spider-UK suit, as it appears in uh, Spider-Verse and Spider-Geddon uh, comic books, which are currently out right now. Now, as for... Now, this is also going to include new story missions. Uh, it's what's called the city... I'm sorry, the city that never sleeps. Uh, with the first pack of that is what's coming out on the 23rd. It's called The Heist. Uh, and it's going to kick off with a robbery at an art museum, which somehow links Peter Parker and Mary Jane with an old romantic interest of his, Felicia Hardy, the Black Cat. Now, Insomniac says that it's the beginning of an interconnected story spanning all three chapters of the paid DLC. Now, again, uh, the heist is only the first chapter of The City That Never Sleeps. It's going to be followed up in November with Turf Wars and in December, Silver Lining. A title like that makes me think we're going to be seeing some more Silver Sable as well. So yeah, I can't recommend Spider-Man PS4 enough. It has been a fantastic game. Uh, it's got a great traversal system as you're swinging your way through the city. And with this additional content, I'm pretty excited. Now you can buy the individual packs, uh, the Heist, Turf Wars, and Silver Lining separately for $10. Or you can get all three of these chapters for $24.99. Uh, it's all available through the uh, PlayStation Store, but you can also, if you haven't yet bought Spider-Man uh, and you're thinking about it, you can buy an Ultimate Edition of Spider-Man that includes this downloadable content as a bundle. Now, of course, you've got to wait for the dates in October, November, and December for this additional content to become available, but it is a higher price point, where, and I believe that's what Jeremy purchased 
was the Ultimate Edition, so again, we've got some more content coming all down the way. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, uh, turning from video games and more to music, uh, Disney has a group called D-Capella. Now, I've seen a few videos on the Disney Channel for this group. They've done uh, Immortals, um, as well as a few other songs. They are officially going on tour, uh, as well as releasing their self-titled album really soon. The album releases on November 16th, whereas their tour begins January 22nd, 2019, at the Florida Theater in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they're going to have a multi-city tour set to hit 40 cities, including Nashville, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Chicago, and Los Angeles. Now, it includes a contemporary production of new arrangements of Disney classic and modern hits. Now, tickets for the 2019 North American tour for Di Capella are currently on sale. Uh, to get information about their tickets and their tour dates, please visit DiCapellaLive.com. Now, their album, like I said, is going to be released on the 16th of November. Their tracks, uh, and it's going to be available both digitally and at physical retailers on that date. Their tracks are Tune Up, which appears to be uh, an original song, then followed by The World Is Me Familia from Coco, Friend Like Me from Aladdin, How Far I'll Go from Moana, uh, Medley of Let It Go and Do You Want to Build a Snowman from Frozen, I Want to Be Like You, the monkey song from Jungle Book, ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, You'll Be in My Heart from Toy Zan, When She Loved Me from Toy Story 2, Trash in the Camp, also from Tarzan, and then a uh, medley or mashup of Part of Your World and Whole New World from The Little Mermaid and Aladdin. Uh, the album's going to round out with three more tracks, Step in Time from Mary Poppins, Immortals by Big Hero, er, from Big Hero 6, and Remember Me from Coco. So again, if uh, you're interested in uh, this album, it's going to be released November 16th, both digitally and in physical stores. Then their tour begins January 22nd in Florida, and you can visit decapellalive.com for more information and for tickets. Now, I don't know about you, but I have gotten really addicted to the products that Funko makes. I've got several Funko Pops sitting on my shelf at work. This week, Funko has announced that they have four new figures. Now, these aren't the pop figures. They're more little PVC figurines that are true to their original design. However, you can now relive the glory of your youth and afternoons spent watching your favorite Disney cartoons. Better still, reenact moments from your favorite Disney afternoon shows uh, with new action figures that are comprised of Gizmo Duck who needs your assistance stopping crime. Gadget from Chippendale's Rescue Rangers is more than capable of flying in and out of danger and keeping their plane in tip-top shape between adventures. King Louie from Tailspin is taking it easy at Louie's place. And if you happen to need him for some amiable conversation, Darkwing Duck's pilot Launchpad McQuack is an eager and able sidekick. So uh, keep an eye out for these. Uh, the information I had didn't say if they were going to be available strictly from Funko or through retailers. But uh, again, these are little PVC figurines. Uh, they look true to their Disney afternoon style. They're not, uh, again, the uh, the stylized version of uh, pop figures, but they're their own unique thing. So definitely keep an eye out for those. Now, changing tone a little bit as we're talking about news, this week um, a couple of uh, Disney actresses have been in the news 
specifically about Disney fairy tales. Now, Kristen Bell, who's the voice of Anna in Frozen, and Kiera Knightley, who played Elizabeth Swan in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, and who's also in the upcoming Nutcracker in the Four Realms film, have both criticized messages in Snow White, Cinderella, and The Little Mermaid. Now, Kristen Bell notes that Snow White easily and without question accepts a poison apple from the old hag. And that the princess kiss at the end is done so without Snow White's consent. Knightley's concerns are that Cinderella waits for a prince to come and save her, while Ariel gives up her voice for a man. Now, some of our uh, listeners have uh, reached out to us on our Facebook page this week. Tim Nidell said that uh, she had better not read the true version, the Brothers Grimm version, that is, of Sleeping Beauty. She'd really have a hissy fit. And uh, regarding the prince waking Snow White, says he should have left her for dead then. That's pretty much what she's saying. Jay Oderkirk mentioned that as a father of two girls, I get it. But I think we all know deep down that Frozen 2 isn't going to be good anyway. And Leah Reinch says that all old fairy tales suck. Let's face it. Think about it. No wonder we had nightmares growing up. Now, if I can editorialize a little bit here, uh, we know that both Snow White and Ariel suffer from their poor choices. You know, Snow White doesn't <laughs> isn't aware of stranger danger. Uh, she accepts the apple and she immediately falls for the sleeping into her sleeping death. Uh, whereas Cinderella, or whereas Ariel, yeah, again, she makes a deal to give up her voice, which leads to no sor endless source of frustration. She suffers for it. Both of them suffer for it. Uh, Cinderella is in an abusive relationship with her stepmother and stepsisters who lock her in a tower. Yeah, not good things happening in any of these stories. The original fairy tales are much darker and much more grim, pun not intended, than the Disney version. Why do we shun these, or why should these stories be shunned? I like to look at this as an opportunity of discussing these messages with our children. If you look hard enough in any story, you're going to find problems with it. You're going to find problems with the characters and the decisions that they make. For example, I was watching Aladdin. Okay, a lot of fun. Running through the streets of Agrabah, you get a genie, you get all your wishes. What's not to enjoy about it? And you got Robin Williams as the genie. I mean, come on. However, my daughter asked, well, why did Aladdin steal the bread? Back to the beginning of the movie. Well, good opportunity for a teaching moment here. I asked her, well, why did he steal the bread? Well, he was hungry. He needed something to eat. Okay. I then asked him, so once Aladdin had the bread and was safe from being chased, what did he do? Well, he said, do you remember who came to him or who he saw across the street? She said, oh yeah, there were two kids that were hungry. I said, and so what did he do with the bread? Well, he gave the bread to them. Okay. Oh, and Abu ate a piece. Yeah, that's true. So, was it right for him to steal, to steal the bread and to give it to these children? Well, no, I mean, he was helping them, but he still probably shouldn't have stolen the bread. I said, that's right. Now, we know that Aladdin doesn't work to buy it. 
He sure, though, he, yeah, he sure seems to have an awful lot of energy, though, to run away from the guards. He can use that energy better, you know, perhaps maybe earning the money to buy the bread, and that way he has it legally. That way he's not a bad example, and that way he's doing what he should be doing, and he's fully within his rights to give that bread to somebody else if he wants, but that's because he has earned it. However, if he earns the bread and gives it away to children, then why is he trying to escape his life as an urchin on the streets of Agrabah? So again, there's a story element there that plays into it. But you know, again, these character flaws exist. They exist in all of us in real life, and they exist in these stories. But these are flaws that can be discussed with our children to help them learn how to make good decisions. That's the entire reason that these stories exist in the first place. They exist to teach lessons. That's why the Grimm brothers went and collected them. That's why Peralt collected the story about Cinderella. They wrote down these stories that were passed down through oral traditions because they taught a message. They taught social information. They taught you how to work within your society and what kind of things to avoid and what to watch out for. So I think, you know, by focusing and pointing and applying our current modern day standards to these stories, which, you know, the Disney version are from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and the 80s, but they have a much deeper history and a much they go much further into our social collective consciousness. There's a lot that we are missing if we're just avoiding these stories because of the uh, how we would look at them in today's day and age. Now, another thing that today's day and age brings that's uh, been unique throughout history is social media. We can certainly and easily share our opinions with anyone who follows us. Most of the time, these, solicit or these uh, impressions and thoughts are unsolicited. Uh, this last Sunday, it was uh, uh, writer Chuck Wendig, who has uh, written for uh, Marvel Entertainment and for Lucasfilm. In fact, he wrote the three Aftermath novels, which kind of helped us bridge the continuity between Return of the Jedi and... Uh, the Force Awakens. Sorry, I lost my brain uh, works for a minute there. Uh, he, he wrote this new trilogy to help explain kind of what's been going on in the galaxy during that 30-year period. Uh, but he's also been working directly with Marvel on a five-issue miniseries called Shadow of Vader, as well as an unannounced Star Wars series from Marvel. He revealed on Sunday that he had been fired by Marvel in the middle of his work on the titles because, in his words, of the negativity and vulgarity that my tweets bring. Seriously, that's what his editor, Mark Paniccia, said. It was too much vulgarity, too much negativity on my part. Previous, um, pre previously, Wendig has been very outspoken about his political views on Twitter. On October 7th, he drew attention to himself with a series of tweets surrounding the com confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. One tweet was later deleted uh, because you know, he claimed it had become a funnel for harassment. The tweet that was deleted contained extreme profanity and extremely coarse language, which was directed at the supporters of uh, Justice Kavanaugh. Now, his firing comes three months after... 
uh, Disney fired James Gunn over old offensive tweets that have been uh, that have resurfaced online. Now, Wendig himself is no stranger to controversy within Star Wars with his openness about discussing real-world politics on social media, and it made him a lightning rod for some elements of the property's fan base. Now, Marvel's removal of Wendig comes about a month after the publisher canceled The Vision, a six-issue uh, six miniseries just two months before its scheduled debut. Its author, best-selling novelist Chelsea Kane, uh, was told that there was a change in publishing plans surrounding the characters being used in the series. Now, Kane is very vocal about her politics, just as vocal as Wendig, and was equally a visible target for trolls on social media. Although there was no reason given as to why that series had a surprise cancellation. Now, as for me, uh, a lot of it is, I don't understand why these creators feel the need to potentially alienate half of their customer base. Yes, politics are a, a very big uh, divisive split within the United States right now. And I find it very difficult to see this divide. I think there's a lot more that connects us and unites us rather than divides us. However, um, I know that Chuck Wendig has been particularly vocal about shaming his critics. And um, again, when you're going out and you're attacking your customers, uh, regardless of how of their own political views, I don't think that overall it's going to end up well for you. When I started working at the company that I'm employed by, you know, they said, don't go on, you know, if someone approaches you for an interview, you can do it, but make sure you get permission and authorization from us. You know, that has since been expanded to our, uh, to our social media accounts, which says, you know, unless you're speaking as a rep, or always assume you're speaking as a representative of the country, because anything you can say might be misconstrued. Now, I still have uh, the opportunity for me to express my opinion, and I can clearly say this is how I feel about things, and this is solely mine, has nothing to do with the company that I work with, and that's fine. But when you get a platform based upon the work that you do for a company, and you use that platform to you know, insult your customers, insult half of the country, um, and again, these aren't tweets that are just simply, I don't like so-and-so. These are tweets that use extreme profanity, um, so much so that you know there, there's no way I'm even going to come close to even describe the type of language used. That you know, I think a company is well within its rights to say, knock it off, or I'm sorry, but because of how extreme you've gotten with this, you're no longer going to be employed by us. It is sad. Uh, there were certain elements of the Aftermath novels that I really enjoyed, and I was looking forward to this new Darth Vader series, but, you know, I guess, end of day, we do have freedom of speech here in the United States, but that does not mean that you're free from the consequences of that speech. This means you're not going to be thrown in jail because of it. Again, um, this isn't the type of stuff that we like to discuss on the show, but uh, I know we've talked about James Gunn a little bit recently, and because this is along the same line, I felt that it was interesting to bring it open for conversation. But with that out of the way, you know, it's been a great week for news. A lot of good things coming. I'm really looking forward to that new roller coaster system, um, as well as the changes coming to the, uh, the Play Disney Parks app. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to play with, even at home and away from the parks. So again, thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you next week. To Disney and beyond. Oh!
As you enter the foyer in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom's Haunted Mansion, if you look to your left, you'll notice a portrait of a young man, which many would assume to be perhaps Master Gracie, as he sits there, just staring at you, and the music and the organ plays, and suddenly the narrator steps in. When hinges creak in doorless chambers, and strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls, whenever candlelights flicker, where the air is deathly still, that is the time when ghosts are present, practicing their terror with ghoulish delight. As you watch the narration, you notice the picture changes. Suddenly, this handsome young man ages, and slowly tatters appear in his clothes as he becomes a rotting corpse. Very skeletal and changing till well, eventually he's still staring at us through skeletal eyes. Now this actually comes from a novel by Oscar Wilde called a, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about this book. I'm going to read this directly from a wiki page. It says, The Picture of Dorian Gray is a gothic and philosophical novel by Oscar Wilde, first published complete in the July 1890 issue of Lippincott's Monthly Magazine. Fearing the story was indecent, the magazine's editor, without Wilde's knowledge, deleted roughly 500, page, 500 words before publication. Despite that censorship, The Picture of Dorian Gray offended the moral sensibilities of British book reviewers, some of whom said that Oscar Wilde merited prosecution for violating the laws guarding the public morality. In response, Wilde aggressively defended his novel and art in correspondence with the British press. Although he personally made excisions of some of the most controversial material when revising and lengthening the story for book publication the following year. The longer and revised version of The Picture of Dorian Gray, published in book form in 1891, featured an a preface, a defense of the artist's rights and of art for art's sake, based in part on his press defenses of the novel the previous year. The content, style, and presentation of the preface made, its famous, made famous in its own right as a literary and artistic manifesto. In April 1891, the publishing firm of Ward, Locke & Company, who had distributed the shorter, more inflammatory magazine version in England the previous year, published the revised version of The Picture of Dorian Gray. The only novel written by Wilde, The Picture of Dorian Gray exists in several versions. The 1890 magazine edition in 13 chapters, with important material deleted before publication by the magazine's editor, J.M. Stoddart, the uncensored version submitted to Lippincott's monthly magazine for publication, also in 13 chapters, with all of Wilde's original material intact, first published in 2011 by Harvard University Press, and the 1891 book edition in 20 chapters. As literature of the 19th century, the picture of Dorian Gray pivots on a gothic plot device with strong themes interpreted from Faust. Now, of course, when you have a novel and it's gotten that much attention, somebody eventually thinks, hey, you know what? We need to make a film of this. And it's actually been made into a film uh, quite a few times. But we were looking back in 1945 for a, a black and white version, although there's a couple of color shots. Uh, the picture of Dorian Gray in 1945, which actually has 
Donna Reed, and Angela Lansbury. That's right. So Angela Lansbury, in her third film, uh, actually that we know a lot from all of her work with Disney, uh, this is one of her early works. And watching this, I've got to say, I've always thought of her as kind of grandmotherly because, you know, I first remember watching on uh, a murder she wrote. My grandmother used to love to watch a murder she wrote, and that's where I first was introduced to Angela Lansbury. And then, of course, is Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the Beast. And then, now, in this, to see her this young, I mean, I've seen Ben Niles and Broomsticks, and she's, like, in her 40s by then, so she's already got that motherly thing going on. Uh, but seeing her very young in the character of Sybil Vane was a very interesting change for me. Now, uh, like I said, this movie has been made a few times in different versions. Looking for spooky films that you might be able to watch with your family. Now, this one, of course, it does have some themes that maybe some of the, your kids aren't quite going to understand. Uh, this was quite a philosophical book, and it's not really scary. It's a bit spooky. It's almost like uh, a Twilight Zone type of uh, film. So what happens here? <clears throat> we have... Dorian Gray, who's getting a portrait made by a friend of his. Now, this portrait, of course, looks very good, but uh, Dorian doesn't quite want to look at it until it's done. Now, his friend, of course, is Basil, played by Lowell Gilmore and Basil Hallward, uh, who has a niece, Gladys Hallward, which we're going to meet as both a child and as an adult, played by Donna Reed, who you might be familiar with her name. She actually had her own show, I believe, in the 50s. Now, we also meet Lord Henry Watton at the beginning, played by George Sanders, and he is into hedonism, and he basically esponges that philosophy of hedonism to Dorian Gray throughout the film. He basically tells Dorian Gray, well, while you're young and you look good and you're handsome and everything, this is where you can live life to the fullest. Seek only your own pleasure, and don't worry about the consequences, because sooner or later you're going to lose it all. Dorian Gray, out of his pride, in the book version, makes a wish that the portrait would, uh, he would always stay young and that the, port the portrait would show the age and not he. Now, in the film version that we watched, he makes this request of like an Egyptian god who's represented in this cat who actually appears in the portrait with Dorian Gray. Now, Dorian Gray, he starts to take some of that hedonistic advice and goes to a small club. And he's, he's of course, you know, what would be like a nobleman. He's wealthy. So he goes to a poorer side of town and goes into this little uh, bar dive or whatever. And this is where he comes across Sybil Vane as she comes out and sings a song about a yellow bird. Now, in the novel, she's actually like a Shakespearean actress. Uh, so this is a bit of a change. And this works pretty well because Angela Lansbury, I think she must have... Uh, been discovered on Broadway because we all know that she can sing and so she is of course playing Sybil Vane she comes out sings a song and Dorian Gray is just smitten with her so you know a few weeks later and he's actually engaged to her along comes Lord Harry Watton to expound his hedonistic lifestyle and says he should put her to the test have her come over to your home he says and then test to see if she's really this virtuous woman that you think she is. Set her in a thing and say that you will be very depressed and cross if she leaves that night and doesn't stay with you. Uh, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, you know what I mean. Well, after a lot of kind of pressuring and almost seeming like, uh, oh, I guess this is the end of our engagement. If you leave tonight, she does in fact stay. Well... 
Dorian Gray, also on the advice of uh, Henry Wotton, decides that then he needs to break up with her because she is not the virtuous woman that he thought that she was, so he sends a letter breaking off the engagement. He then regrets that decision after he sees the portrait of himself as a different look. A slightly more sinister look. And he's a little bit spooked by that. He sees the picture has not the smiling, but just has that almost cold look. It's just changed a little bit. So he regrets his decision and starts writing a note, apologizing and saying, you know, that he wants to get back together with Sybil Vane. When he goes to send that letter out, he's informed by Basil, which Basil is like the that other voice. If Dorian Gray's got a conscience of a good and bad, Henry's on the bad side, and Basil, his friend who painted the portrait, is his good side. And Basil comes to inform him that Sybil Vane has committed suicide after receiving the first letter. And now the movie fast forward, and the book fast forward as well, about 20 years. Now we've met Gladys Halward as a child. Uh, she's the niece of Basil Halward, and she shows up, and she's quite smitten with Dorian Gray at that time when the portrait's being made. But in 20 years, everybody has marveled that Dorian Gray, now hitting 40, still looks just as young and vibrant as he ever did. But there are stories all around the town of some of his exploits and his hedonistic lifestyle living only for pleasure despite any consequences and yet it's remarkable that he has shown no sign upon his own face he looks young and vibrant and now gladys played by donna reed as an adult is of course still smitten with him basil doesn't think that Dorian has actually been doing anything, you know, that, that he's heard. He doesn't believe in it because Dorian looks young, healthy, vibrant, so he doesn't seem to have been living an unhealthy or sinister lifestyle. Although we do hear something about someone that Dorian Gray has messed with someone's fiance and caused other people to commit suicide. So there seems to be death kind of surrounding different aspects of what he has done. He hasn't directly killed anyone, but he seems to have caused some trouble. Now, I will point out that Sybil Vane, we did meet that she had a brother who was a sailor, and he was heading to Australia at the time, and really wanted to make sure that Sybil Vane was well taken care of, and had some sort of distrust for Dorian. He didn't, didn't quite like him. He thought something was up with him. Well, he's going to come back into town and find out that 20 years ago his sister committed suicide over a breakup with Dorian Gray and uh, that's going to get interesting as well now along the way uh, we'll, we're going to see now 20 years later that Dorian Gray is trying to protect that portrait he's kept it locked up and covered in a blanket in, a, in his old childhood bedroom which is very interesting so he's trying to keep his youth uh, with this portrait that's aging in the place where he grew up as a child. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. Uh, but we, we'll see him blackmail someone in order to hide what was going on with the portrait. Uh, because people would ask questions. If somebody asked too many questions, he would get suspicious. Uh, and to move things along a little bit, 
eventually he does want to show the portrait to Basil. Now the portrait has changed and we only can see the portrait in color a couple of times. We've seen one shot of it in color when he's young, but now, you know, Dorian wanted to see what it looked like as he's gotten older, and it has become very hideous and ugly and and, and almost corpse-like, but not dead, you know, not like completely like the one at the Haunted Mansion. He doesn't turn into a completely dead-looking man in the film, but he does look horrible and distorted and, and, and everything. But at one time, he does actually show this to his friend Basil. Basil starts to understand something that's happened, and Dorian, we get a lot of his thought processes. He murders his friend, and that that's going to begin a spiral of worse. So, suddenly now he notices the portrait has blood on its hands, and things only get worse from there. Especially considering now, of course, the brother of Sybil Vane has come back and uh, wants to avenge his sister. Uh, so the film gets a little bit more interesting towards the end. I'm not going to tell you exactly how this ends, but this was uh, sort of a criticism of a, a hedonistic lifestyle that was becoming popular around the time when Oscar Wilde had written it, and he had some uh, concerns about uh, what was going on in, in the uh, culture around him. Uh, so he wanted to bring this up and uh, show the light of... of what the effects of this sort of lifestyle would be. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff if you want to look in on the Wikipedia page that really kind of talks about this or perhaps get a copy of the book. Pixie Heather, who was supposed to be able to record with me, unable to do so, uh, it's, had started reading the book. I don't think she's gotten to finish it. Uh, so it is very interesting, and it is very spooky, and like I said, it is uh, very similar, I think, to an episode of The Twilight Zone, which <laughs> that is actually something else that uh, you might find it in a Disney park at Walt Disney World. Uh, so uh, I do definitely recommend this movie, although I think maybe younger children might not understand because, you know, the way this is filmed, they don't really show anything. You know, they're pretty light. They, they kind of hint at some things that have happened within 20 years when we skip uh, and that Dorian Gray has built this reputation around town. Uh, of course, I think nowadays, even now, this hedonistic style lifestyle would actually be very acceptable to people, uh, even in our culture. Uh, there is a big push for just, you know, pleasing yourself, you know, serve, being service to yourself and not, you know, choosing a moral ground and basis for your life. But I'm not going to get into that here. That's not why we make this show. Uh, but it is a very interesting movie. Uh, I think older kids might understand a little bit of what's going on, but uh, really the content isn't bad. So, I mean, you it's its kind of spooky, a little scary with the portrait, but I think you'll be all right watching this together. You just may have to uh, explain a few things to some of your children. Uh, the, the murder scene, though, it is uh, done fairly light. I mean, this is made, you know, in the 50s, so it's not... <laughs> it's not like hardcore. You're not going to see this type of thing in a, you know, as what you would see in this newer Halloween film, I'm sure. So this is definitely something you can sit with and enjoy the connection to Disney's Haunted Mansion through the portrait there on the wall. And so now every time you look at that picture, think about this story. And that's all the time we have for this week. Make sure you check out our Patreon page. We do have links on there, because if you don't want to hear the ads that you're probably hearing during the show, you can, of course, become a subscriber on Patreon and get your own RSS feed without any of the ads. Plus, you'll be helping to keep this show running. Uh, I know this show's a little bit late this week, 
Uh, I'm very, very busy with some things, and I've had a project I've been working on on the days I normally would be editing the show, so I had to make a couple changes, but uh, we will continue to make the show. I have not missed a week yet, and nearly completing five years, and I don't plan to at this point. Uh, but we're going to come back next week with yet one last movie for the month that you might be able to watch with your family that might be a little spooky or deal something with a bit of a monster, which I got to tell you, this week was quite entertaining before I landed on Dorian Gray. We tried to watch a film from the 60s called Curse of the Headless Horseman with a clear Disney connection of a headless horseman. But I got 20 minutes into it. The sound quality was really bad. The film quality was really bad. It was just bad. Everything. And the movie was terrible. And so I jumped out of that and I thought, well, maybe instead we'll watch the old 1922 Nosferatu with Max Schreck. No Disney connection I can make out of there. That was basically a telling of uh, Dracula, but I it was kind of slow-paced and it's silent, and I ended up dozing off. And I thought, well, let's try something else. And my wife you know, had recorded Dorian Gray off Turner Classic Movies, so we watched that one. So it took a long way to get around to this, which is why I'm not going to tell you exactly what movie I'm planning to watch this week, because something may happen, and I end up watching a different movie. So we'll see you again, though, next week. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash Neverland Podcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at YeehawBob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true.